Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 442, where it's... Spooky time. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Very good. Are you thoroughly spooked? Well, we're entering that season, so... The spooky season. Well, as, as I was telling these guys, Ooh. before I came over, I went down the rabbit hole of all, all things Halloween on the internet, just getting excited about it, so... Was it in conjunction with uh, the, the Minecraft Halloween Town, or just in general? Uh, that was that was one of the elements. That is, it's one of those things where you start on one thing, you go to the internet, you start to look for some one thing, and then that one thing leads to another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and then two hours later, you know, you're in the middle of a YouTube video going, "Oh crap, I got to go record." <laughs> <laughs> What'd you guys do this week? I watched a couple films. I watched a couple films. <laughs> <laughs> I think we watched probably the same films. Yeah, we are, did. are there, well, are there, are there ones talk, we're going to talk I'll about? I'll have to talk about mine later. I also uh, saw a couple of films. You would be proud of me because uh, we've started our um, countdown to Halloween mm. a little uh, a little early, and I uh, I saw what we do in the shadows. Finally, oh, what did you think of that? I enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. It's not quite as bonkers as I think a lot of people made it out to be, but maybe no. it's just because my expectations were built up over other people talking about it. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, I think we're going to probably start the the series with uh, our group now and kind of dip our toe in that water and see what Slower it is. Lower your expectations I, further. Yeah, well, here's series. the thing is, uh, the, the movie's fairly brilliant, but it's like, I kind of feel like they're done. I mean, what else is there to well, do with the, vampire the, lore? The, and the TV series is a reimagining of the, it's it's not like a continuation. But from uh, what I understand. Really? Yeah, it's it's a kind of a soft reboot on it. Mm. I didn't finish the season, but I also understand that uh, Takia's character does show up, though. Yeah. So it's like a reboot, but continuation at the same time it's a soft reboot is what they're calling it we also went out and saw ready or not which is bonkers and so much fun and i i really liked it (laughs) i've not heard of that one it's the uh the 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 bride on her wedding night that she has to play a game with the in-laws and draws hide and seek so they're like okay you go hide in the house somewhere and she's like Okay, is there any way for me to win? They're like, well, if you stay hidden until dawn. But, so she goes running off, and then everybody starts pulling out crossbows and shotguns. <laughs> because it's a uh, it's that kind of family. And it's, um, if you enjoy Slither, or the Evil Dead kind of combination of horror and comedy, uh, this would be right up your alley. Hmm. It is, uh, we spent as much time kind of, uh, screaming from jump scares as we did screaming from laughter, so it's 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 a it's a fun one. And then uh, got t- I did not enjoy Slither, but I do like horror comedies. But then I would be really interested to see your take. Of course, I liked Sl- it, so Slither you probably was just won't. a really <laughs> terrible movie, though. So, what about you know Tucker and Dale vs. Evil? Is it also in that vein? Yeah, yeah. There are, there are parts that are it's 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 Which really I- not gory until like the last which minutes. i liked better that one was just a little too over the top violent <laughs> yeah there's some violence in this one there's, there's well there's a lot of violence in this one but it's not over the top until probably the last 20 minutes or so 
And then uh, got to go out to the Fathom event for Star Trek, the motion picture mm. for the 40th anniversary. That's fun. It was fun. Cool to see that on the big screen again. Nice. Keith, did you watch anything? No. I didn't really get around I to watching it. <laughs> I have been listening to the fifth season of The Diary of River Song. Mm. It's been quite enjoyable. This is the master one. Ooh. It's slightly disappointing in the fact that the stories don't connect as far as I can see at this point, and I'm in the last story. But the writing of the masters is pretty fantastic. Uh, Missy and River together are a duo I want again because they're so much fun to listen to. Of course, part some of that is just Michelle Gomez is so captivating as the role. But the, even River and Jeffrey Beavers together is really well done. I, I like it a lot. It's I been really forward good. to that. You understand that you're the kid that blows the bell curve, right? Because you're doing homework for next semester. It's not homework. You're, you're, it's, I'm just you're, listening you're to already it. ahead of the rest of it's, the class. Considering so. how long it's going to take to get to these, I'm not going to be it's too homework if it's something that you love. There is no extra credit on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, should we move on to feedback? No, let's do news. We can do either. <laughs> whatever you want, Glenn. We can do feedback if you want. I'm tired. <laughs> yes, uh, let's. <laughs> Well, how about this? Feedback or news won't take very long because it's a short news week. Okay. Uh, only news is Candy Jar has announced details on the first book of next series for Lethbridge Stewart in the Bloodlines uh, storyline uh, called Home Fires Burn. It is going to feature, of course, the story um, reuniting readers with section officer Eileen. I'm going to butcher her last name. Young husband. Young husband, but this is before she was oh, married. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, it's also going to include Quarks and Professor Travers. Ooh. Oh, well, now we know why you're excited. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. <laughs> and the return of the Briggs' uncle, Matthew Lethbridge-Stewart. Hmm. So it could be an interesting combination. Sounds interesting. Quarks. Quarks. There's a synopsis you can read, uh, or a blurb, as you will, out there. I'm not going to read it now. We've linked to it on our Facebook page. Yeah. Go check it out. And pre-order. That's it. All right. Well, let's move on to feedback now. Feedback. We've got a couple pieces from Jamie. He is continuing his uh, rewatch, and he's up to our episodes 126 through 130, and he writes uh, something in Klingon. (laughs) <laughs> Hello there, Vortexers. <laughs> Episode 126, the Tom Baker retrospective. First why, is, why is it our resident Star Trek guy won't read out the Klingon? Um, because I was forced to take crappy French. <laughs> and, and all of your Klingon has gone out. Kling, Klingon, moved was, out. Klingon was not offered as a, uh, a foreign language. Fictitious languages. Uh, no, it's got, a real language. Got pushed out it of It is your... a real language. Thank you very much. Fictitious, but... It's not fictitious. It it's fictitious. made up. But what language is oh, well, it? Well, okay, it's made up. There yes, you go. Made up language. But it, it, isn't all language made it, up? It, it, is, it is acknowledged <laughs> as a genuine language by the uh, Language Institute. They they treat Klingon with no different... Uh, it and Dothraki, right? I believe it. That one's also in there, yeah. Just oh, recently. That was just added, yeah. But anyway. Uh, no, I haven't studied. Hello, Vortexers. Uh, episode 126, the Tom Baker retrospective. First of all... You're not even going to give it a stab. <laughs> 
throat hurts. I don't think I could do this justice. Quavon Tulu. Maybe. I bought it. All right. Well, you could have done that. None of us would have questioned. You wouldn't have questioned me at we all. We wouldn't have been anybody else that listens <laughs> to this that are huge Star Trek fans and no Klingon probably. Just, just That's throw, terrible. Just throw an edit in there. My accent is, uh, my, my Midwestern accent. Is... Sean, in um, three years of uh, studying French, you did that Klingon better than you do your French. That is true. <laughs> I do not deny that. First of all, really enjoyed the My Girl Feedback song. Babblesphere. I remember enjoying this one, but not much else. The concepts are interesting, though with a social media link-up that drains creativity. As for the revisited, I rewatched this recently and found it boring. Maybe because Tom's run is so massive with few recurring villains and so many companions, but it feels like the format of the specials is the most inadequate here. I'm in an ideal place for a retrospective, having spent the last three years watching all of Tom Baker's run on TV. He is, and always will be, the definitive Doctor Who. He's the most recognizable, the longest run, the one everyone thinks of when you say Doctor Who to those who have barely scratched the surface or have heard of the show in passing. Yeah, I used to watch on PBS. That was the guy with the scarf, right? <laughs> Tom's Doctor went through phases that are rather different. The Hinchcliffe era, the Hammer Horror, the era where it seemed to be a serious job for Tom and he was the most balanced. And then there was the Graham Williams funny, silly, jokey era. And then there's Romana, both of them. Brilliant in their own right, equal parts of the Doctor, and personally, I like Romana too better. And finally, there's the J&T era. Tom seems to really be done, all moody and angry. Science is shoehorned into everything, sometimes to the point of detracting from the story. Canine gets shortchanged and eventually written out entirely. Do I like the Fourth Doctor? Yeah, I like the Fourth Doctor. I prefer his early personality, though I have favorite episodes scattered throughout his run, and like all companions, with the exception of maybe Adric, just not a big fan of his, Four was one of my favorites, but at the moment, he slid down a little in my eyes. I suspect that's because I've been overloaded on him and am very much ready for change. What fourth Doctor story is the best representation? Oh, that's a hard one. I'd have to say maybe Genesis of the Daleks or Pyramids of Mars for the early years and City of Death for the later years, but with so many to choose from, it's very hard. Episode 127 and a return to the Divergent Universe. Faith Stealer. I remember enjoying this one. The concepts are definitely interesting, and it was fun in places. However, it's been a while, so I only remember bits and pieces. The last. This one was good. Bleak, but good. The post-apocalyptic world was well-realized, the ruler well-acted, the threats to the Doctor and company seemed real. The only thing that was confusing was Requiem and the ghosts. I didn't really care for that part of the story. So here we are, only two left episodes left in the Divergent Universe arc, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it. It's an interesting idea with a lot of potential, but it's a very hard thing to write, a universe without time. And while some of the stories were really good, it just wasn't handled well. As you theorized, they kind of painted themselves into a corner where they had a great concept, but no idea how to realize it. And the fact that they cut it short and placed some of the unused Divergent scripts in the Prime Universe just diminished it even further. Anyway, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on the last two. Moving on to episode 128. You guys were talking about the price of Doctor Who DVDs shooting up because of the upcoming releases of special editions. I have a question. Short of a format change, as in DVD to Blu-ray, will there be any new Doctor Who releases? As they decide to animate missing episodes or lost episodes happen to be found, I'm sure they'll release new titles, but apart from that. You also mentioned the possibility of stories being regulated to the vault, where they're done manufacturing copies and what's out there is out there. Once all those existing copies are sold, they're no more. Do you think they'll manufacture new copies of older releases? 
or is all we've got all we're going to get? Well, we That's just talked about that not that long ago was the fact that they're printing on demand copies of mm-hmm. the discs when you order them. The times have changed. Yep. Plus all the Blu-ray releases. And Jamie has a, another question on the DVD versus Blu-ray, which we will get to in his second piece of feedback. So continuing on. I enjoyed your Ring of Fire feedback song, Planet of Fire. I remember this one is enjoyable. We get the backstory for Turlo, gets a good send off, introduced to Perry, the Master, and the departure of Chameleon. The Eye of the Scorpion. Now, I really liked this one. It's an enjoyable pseudo-historical that introduces us to a great companion in Aramum. The story is great here, with the villains being excellently played. The mercenary leader is a wonderful villain. The Egyptian setting is well done. Kind of wish Doctor Who would go to ancient Egypt a bit more often. The only real question is this. Now that you've listened to the entire run of Perry and Aram stories, do you think the inclusion of a large run of adventures between Planet of Fire and Caves of, Andra- Caves of Adrazani hurts, helps, or doesn't affect how people view the Doctor's sacrifice in Caves? I'm curious, since one of the big impacts of Caves was that the Doctor sacrificed himself for someone he barely knew. That's an interesting question, and I initially would come down on the it's a brilliant idea to shove all those stories into that tiny little gap just because it's a wonderful opportunity to get more five and Perry. And I don't think that cheapens the sacrifice at all. I mean, no, I think it adds to the sacrifice because it, it gives more justification of why he'd be willing to throw himself down for somebody he just met. I mean, the doctor's willing to do that in general, but it just makes that death essentially more poignant in my opinion. I agree. Uh, Sorry, I lost my... Oh, there we go. Uh, Moving on then, Star Trek 102. I've seen the motion picture, remember it being exceedingly boring. Some of the ideas were cool, but they really overdid it on long, boring special effects shots. Hearing that they released it unfinished makes me feel a little better for not liking it. Wrath of Khan was thoroughly enjoyable. I haven't seen any other original series movies. I have seen Generations and First Contact and all three Abrams-verse. It was a good side trip, and I think we need more. I see you did a next-gen season one, but I'd love to see more. Episode 129 and the Fifth Doctor Anniversary Stories. Alex's email and his theories on the silence and the exploding TARDIS, it's about as close to the truth as I've heard on your show before the revelations in Time of the Doctor. It's well thought out and well presented. Bravo. Considering the revelations of Time of the Doctor, I'd like to reiterate Sean and I think also Keith's comments in reaction to this. He said, I hope they kind of do something to address it on camera. And Sean said, this is something because everybody's thinking about it. When are the silence coming back? I find it fun that Moffat was able to wrap up everything at Christmas. The silence, the question, the secret fear that was revealed to the Doctor in the hotel and the God complex, the Time Lords, etc. I really can't wait for your coverage of day and time. Smoke and Mirrors. I remember enjoying this one okay, but I'm with you guys that it just wasn't that great. Tegan was a decent enough reader, but it didn't stand out. Prisoners of Time 5. I enjoyed this story. It was nice to see the Santar and Rutan War, and the art was decent enough. Definitely one of the better ones. The Fifth Doctor Retrospective. I've seen a decent chunk of his TV stories and listened to a large selection of his big finish. He's a quiet, laid-back doctor and really stands out, sandwiched between two loud, larger-than-life personalities with the two bakers. I thought Chrissy's comments were very well thought out. I haven't seen any of his TV stories recently, and most of my audio has been with single or two companion pairings, so I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I don't think the crowded TARDIS worked well on TV. It works better on audio, but that's because the writers of Big Finish have a better grasp of the characters and the problems that overcrowding caused on the show. 
I'm not sure, but I may rank Davison higher than Tom. Now, don't yell at me. I like Tom. <laughs> but I'm currently oversaturated. I look forward to starting Davidson on my watch through as a breath of fresh air. His quiet, reserved, but he has teeth when he has to use them. What's the definitive fifth Doctor story? Man, Earthshock or Caves of Adrazani, maybe the Mara duology. None of them are really super fresh in my mind, so it's hard. And finally, Inferno. I love this one. It's the first Pertwee I ever saw back when I was first getting into Who back in 2010. It drags a little, and it could have been cut by maybe one episode. But it's still a great story, a cautionary tale of the era without being preachy. The parallel universe stuff was great. That's it for now. Stay safe during tornado season, and keep up the great podcast. Really enjoying it. You can tell Jamie. we're still backlogged on these. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, we're in Kansas. It's always tornado season. Mm. <laughs> uh, the other question he had in a second feedback was um, some questions about DVD versus Blu-ray and collecting the TV stories. Now, I know you've had a whole episode about this recently, and I have listened to it. But in this case, I have a specific question. I don't own any Doctor Who DVDs. All of my DVD watching has been through my library, and there are titles that I borrowed that aren't there anymore. I'm considering whether to start collecting the DVDs or Blu-rays. And at the moment, I don't have a Blu-ray player, but that's an easy enough remedy as they're getting more and more affordable. Focusing on the Hartnell era, apart from an adventure in space and time, which doesn't really count, none of these are on Blu-ray. Of the stories that are missing, only two have been animated and released on DVD, Reign of Terror and Tenth Planet. Checking current pricing on Amazon to get all the Hartnell stories that exist would cost me about 550 bucks. Now, granted, I'd be piecing these out and getting them little by little, but my question right now is this. Should I start acquiring DVDs now, or wait for however long it takes for them to release Season 1, 2, or 3 box set on Blu-ray? That's hard to answer, and I'll tell you why, because there's so much out there as far as DVD goes. Um, the easy answer is wait for the Blu-ray, but I don't think Blu-ray is a guarantee that they'll continue. Mm-hmm. They've got they've set a pretty good track record with two Tom seasons, one uh, Davison season already out, and then we've got um, per, uh, a season of Pertwee coming out, a season of Colin Baker coming out, and a season of Sylvester McCoy now confirmed. So it seems like they're on track to try to get everything out on Blu-ray. I think the challenge, though, is when we come to the um, first two Doctors with with so much of their stuff being missing, I think part of me feels like they're probably going to hold off on those for a while. I think we may eventually see them, especially since sales seems to be, you know, doing well enough to continue not only releases in the UK, which they are obviously going to be popular, but also in the US. But I think I think DVD's almost a step backwards, although you don't get I mean, Blu-ray's up converting the quality a little bit, but they still look great on DVD. Uh the problem that you'll find though is especially right now we've got this benefit of uh web when we were chasing down Web Planet or when I in particular was place chasing down Web Planet and uh the time meddler those things because they were uh out of print and they were second seller discs they were super high but you have the benefit now of those as keith was mentioning about the represses you have the benefit now that bbc's doing dvd on demand and so those are actually been priced down to 1999 whereas before web planet you couldn't get at one time for 100 uh, under 120 dollars and Time Meddler was up around that as well. Yeah, those are being repressed by um, uh, BBC, the shop BBC. So, 
don't, I would hard, definitely recommend not buying anything more than a $20 disc. Yeah. Uh, maybe 30 if it's, you know, the Rescue and the Romans where it's a big box set or the Chase and, you know, the Space Museum and something like that where it's a, you're getting more than one story. But because of the Blu-ray releases possibly on the forefront and on the, or on the horizon rather, I would be very hesitant to buy any more DVDs of any of these stories unless it's like a brand new release where it's an animation. Yeah. Sean and I, we we kind of were in the benefit of buying a lot of our collection when they were street value um, or street date, uh, not street, retail value. Um, but I've been slower along than Sean has, and I now I'm finally at uh, a point where I'm only four stories away from finishing my DVD collection. And there's two of them out there that, quite frankly, unless they drop considerably, I won't end up purchasing. And I know Sean's just sitting on one story he's missing. And that uh, particular DVD is still, although it's come, you're looking for Fenric, right? I'm looking for Fenric, and it has come down. It has come down considerably. But realistically, at this point. And those might come further with the the Blu-ray coming out. Well, that's just it. As of right now, I could pre-order, even if I went to and, and, and got it from England and had it shipped, I could pre-order the Blu-ray box set for about the same price as what the one disc of, you know, getting Fenric by itself on DVD would be. So I, I know that previously when we discussed this, I was very much in the, if you already have it, I didn't see that it was necessarily worth upgrading camp. But Jamie, in your position, I would definitely go Blu-ray simply because... Yeah, you're going to have to wait a while. Um, the the Hartnell and Trouton stuff with as, you know, sparse as some of those seasons are, it's going to be difficult for them to put together a, a comprehensive Blu-ray box set unless that's what they decide to do is here's the whole Hartnell season, everything that's available. And I don't think they'll go that route. I think they'll continue to try and do it season by season. I also think they will probably wait until rather late in the Blu-ray run to start issuing those because they're going to hold out as much hope as possible that either A, these episodes do turn up and are found, or B, that they can get them animated. And then they'll include them. Well, as I don't part know of that, that they're set. holding out hope that they can animate. I think what they're doing is they're, they're waiting to figure out how to, how, mo- how to most logically and affordably animate right. them is what they're doing. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while. Cause I think you could probably, we might see the second season. It's, it's the last season of Trout and is, complete right we have all the stories from no we don't have any no no season of trout is complete. no season of trout is yeah. complete even with the animation even with the animation okay um so yeah then it, it's going to be it's going to be a while but for the price difference i mean if you if you averaged out the the 550 that you're paying for the hartnell season and like if you looked at tom and obviously seven seasons of that that's insane. Well, and I don't know how much of a completionist you are as well. I mean, Sean and I have this illness. <laughs> Sean more so than me, but Sean and I have this yeah. illness where we're completionists. And so we're at the point where Ghostlight is one of the ones that I still need. It's coming on Blu-ray uh, after the first year. I still will buy the DVD because now I'm so close to the finish line. <laughs> but I, I can't sit there with a hole in my collection. And if I... If I were down to just one like you are, I'd be doing the same thing with Fenric. I'd be going, okay, I've got, to, I have to buy it because now again, I would play the long game and 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 wait until it 
came down. And realistically, I probably will, even though the Blu-ray is <laughs> cheaper. I'll wait until I can They'll, find it. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be part it, of the fun now. It'll I be think a hunt. close to when <laughs> close to when that Blu-ray comes out. I think uh, second seller Ghost Lights and um, uh, uh, Curse will come way down. Oh, well, Curse has already dropped about ten bucks since the last time well, I checked so on has, it. Well, so but. has uh, uh, Ghost Lights down to seventy-nine now. It was up over hundred dollars. So. But now Keith is kind of the other end of the spectrum, whereas Glenn and I are completionists. You have. I already don't have a, he, anywhere he, close to a. But but you he collects what he the you stories just collect that he the ones that you like. Right, yeah, which creates a little bit more of a challenge when I'm looking at the seasons because then I've got to weigh okay, how many of these stories do I like in this season, and how how often am I actually going to watch some of these other ones? So if it's a season where yeah, there's a couple great stories in there, but there's enough other clunkers for me, I probably won't pick up the Blu-rays. And he's okay with that. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. Glenn and I are over here twitching. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think a lot of it will just kind of depend on... Uh, Although that being said, if I find the Blu-rays cheap enough, I'll still pick them up. Yeah. I think a lot it's of it will just price. depend on what your particular personality type is, what you're okay with having on the shelf, and uh, you know, can you play the long game and wait them out? Yeah. And uh, if you can, then I would definitely say Blu-ray is the way to go. Um, and if you want them now, or if you don't mind having a mixture of both, then by all means, start picking up the, the DVDs secondhand or, you know, as cheaply as you can, and then buy the Blu-rays that are available. It looked like they were on track for the Blu-rays to, to release three a year, and now it's looking like they've bumped that to four a year, so one each quarter. So Yeah. It may come out quicker than we expect. Hope that answers your question, Jamie. All right. Any other feedback? That's it for feedback. All right. Well, let's move into our reviews. Sean, explain a little bit about what we're doing. It's spooky time. <laughs> so we thought it would be fun to do Beyond the Doctor, which is a revisiting of a concept we did back for the 50th, where we're going to look at the actors who have played the Doctor, but not in Doctor Who. We're going to look at uh, some movies that they've done outside of the TV show. And specifically, because it is spooky time, these are all horror, thriller, uh, you know, they're spooky movies. Yeah. So we've got uh, we've got two of them for you today. What order are we doing? Doctor order, of course. We've got the fourth Doctor. We've got Tom Baker. In the Vault of Horror. Give us a synopsis, Keith. It's not a very good one. Oh. <clears throat> Actually, here, hand me that Blu-ray. Let's <laughs> see if there's one on that. Five unsuspecting hotel guests step into an elevator, which leads them into an underground vault. Trapped with no way out, each guest shares a gruesome tale of an encounter with death. But as the stories unfold, the men begin to suspect that their presence in the vault is no coincidence, and that the only way out is death. Bum, bum, bum. This was a hotel, really? I did not get that at all from the watch. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I thought didn't it was like an office building or something. I just thought it was a nondescript building. They wound up in the sub-basement. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Glenn and I's at least second viewings. Yeah. But your first, right? I had started it and got through the first segment, uh, I don't know, last year or the year before, whenever I borrowed this from you. <laughs> and then, uh, so this was my, my first full time through, yes. What did you guys think? 
I enjoyed it just as much. Yeah, I I did too. I mean, it, this is this is right in line of a lot of the films that I like. I really like kind of those British com or British comedies, British horrors from the <laughs> late '60s and early '70s. Um, Hammer horror films are among some of my favorites, but also another group that was doing the the basically the same style of horror was uh, Amicus, which was kind of their rival um, uh, company that they were releasing. In fact, they would. They would borrow or steal actors back and forth from each other, and so a lot of times you'll see, you know, Christopher Lee and and Peter Cushing, um, in both uh, Americus and um, Hammer horror films. Uh, Amicus, I keep saying Americus, Amicus. Um, what I really like about this is I, when I was a kid, some of my favorite comics were the EG comics, um, and at the time that I was reading them, most of them were reprints of the stuff from the forties, fifties, and sixties. Because EC Comics was, you know, really anthology horror stories uh, that that back in the day that uh, were were really kind of in this style and vein of how this is put together. And this particular story is actually a sequel to Tales from the Crypt, which was <laughs> cleverly included in in this particular movie <laughs> when the author guy is uh, the writer is reading the Tales from the Crypt novelization. And there's an e, uh, EC comic laying on the table next to him that they pan across, which I thought was pretty cool, which was Vault of Horror. I think the ironic thing about this is none of these, these are all, these were all adapted from stories in uh, EC comics. None of them came from any of the Vault of Horror line. <laughs> I think three or four of them were from Tales from the Crypt, and one of them was from Shock and shock Suspense stories. Do you think some of that uh, is... Part of why they would have named this one Vault of Horror instead of Tales from the Crypt 2. Well, was that because the U.S. version of Tales from the Crypts may have launched around then? And no, then no, 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 there's, no, no. Tales from the, Crypt, from the Crypt in visual media didn't launch until the 90s on HBO or late 80s. Oh, okay. HBO, now, well, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I'm more familiar with the HBO Tales from the Crypt series, yeah. uh, which you're right, was the 90s. But wasn't there an original uh, television series? That this was kind of an updating of didn't didn't it air in the seventies or something or am I way not, off base? Not that, that I'm aware of. Um, well, you would know. So. No, this was <laughs> well, not not that I, mean, I, I don't mean that like me. I just Glenn there, there Glenn was, knows horror. I think there was a Tales from the Dark Side TV series. Maybe that's maybe what that's can, what I'm. But thinking that also of. would have been late eighties, early nineties hmm. as well. So, and then Tales from the Dark Side also did a did a few movie things too. No, I mean, this was specifically adaptations of the comics. Um, and I've always liked anthology stories, especially on film. And I think that that's, this is put together really well. And I like how this and Tales from the Crypt always have a framing story where our subjects come together in some way. And then there's the big reveal at the end of, of why all of this has come about as each one of them tell their different stories. Um, well, it's a beautiful way of doing a completely you know, disparate stories that Unrelated. don't yes. relate to yes. each other no other until way. you get to the end and you find out, ah, oh, the framing device is what ties everything together yeah. because of blah, blah, blah. The anthology storytelling of this too was, was also sort of what now EC comics is what inspired uh, Romero and King to do creep show as well. Um, this is kind of the predecessor to that. As far as the visual medium goes, um, King borrowed a lot from not, not particularly this, movie but from the same source material uh, although king came up with original stories instead of them doing stories that were previously written so this was sort of a predecessor to uh creep show and creep show too hmm. um 
I think the stories are really good, and I think because they're they're short and concise, there's not a lot of there. There's it's not it's almost suspense horror as opposed to gore. Which, yeah, they shy away from the yeah. gore a lot. Um, we do, you know. I I think the one that's uh, the neat job with uh, uh, Terry Thomas and Glennis Johns. Johns, um, probably was the most most gore factor with the hammer into the head and the all of the different body parts on the shelf at the end. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the 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 one guy gets clubbed in the grave and I guess there was one I guess the, the Baker story was pretty gruesome too with the hands getting the arms getting chopped off. But you never actually saw much of that. Well that one I thought you implied. saw more of than I expected to for a nineteen seventy three uh, British horror film. That's probably the uncut version <laughs> you were watching. Oh that's true. I did watch the uncut this time. Um but overall, they're great stories. But to 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 focus down, to narrow down, my favorite story in this, and it and I, there could be some subconscious bias in it. <laughs> but my my favorite story really is the Tom Baker story, where he is the artist that you know ends up with a bit of a, a cursed Midas touch, um, gets the voodoo from the uh, guy in Haiti, the Haitian uh, guy, for uh, to essentially take revenge on the guys that wronged him that that undersold his paintings and then you know sold them for more money because they actually were good <laughs> i think there's there's a reason they saved it for last and that's because it is the best yeah it's also seems the longest like there was more thought put into the story than the pre than the other four stories even time wise it seems to take up more time of the movie than the other ones yeah i don't know i think this trick will kill you is is the Probably about as long, in my opinion. Or at least it felt as long. That's the one with the rope trick. But not as good oh. a payoff, realistically. Um, no. no, no, agreed, agreed. Uh, but I, I think as long. And, and, and this trick will kill you was probably my second favorite of them. Yeah, even, though, even though I really enjoyed uh, Glennis Johns and Terry Thomas in the, uh, the, neat, uh, the neat job. But that one was really short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. and and another interesting thing is to see uh, Terry Thomas in a role that I don't expect because I'd never seen him in anything, you know, horror or serious. Yeah, he, he's. I mean, the first thing I ever saw him was a Mad, 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 Mad World. Um, the second thing I ever saw him in was those Magnificent Men in Their Flying yeah, Machines, which he's also in as <laughs> yeah. well. And so it, and it was really, really strange to see him in this movie. You could occasionally hear the, Sir Hiss also in his kind yeah. of performance. Yeah. Yep. Um. And the mom from Mary Poppins in a horror movie? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I thought was weird was the bargain in death, taking a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach with the, the guys, the grave robber guys, when they get scared and the hair stands on in. I mean, it's almost like they were they were kind of giving a, maybe a little bit of levity before getting into the, the Tom Baker story um, that does get really, really gruesome and, and serious in tone. Yeah. And so I sort of wonder maybe if that was placed there to kind of lighten things out a little bit, even though it still takes the, the horror, but it's more of it's a bit of a black. Well, when when, when you well. Uh, when you look at it overall, you start with the vampire story, and it, it's very kind of twilight zoney, with the open that we we've got this guy in this town and oh we closed down and you can't be out on the streets at midnight blah blah, blah. and then it, it takes this weird turn where he goes to visit his sister. <laughs> And you're going, where are you going with this? And then he kills her. And suddenly he goes back outside. And it's like, 
dude, they, everybody has warned you not to be out after dark, and now you've committed a murder, and you're going to go to eat? And he goes to hang out at this they cafe. They come out at night, sir. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. And then um, we get the, the vampire reveal. But the vampires are so bad <laughs> because of... The teeth at the, the end. Yeah. The, the, the scene with all the teeth. It was, you know... It's laughable. Oh, I well, no, I think it was a bit campy, but I I really enjoyed it, and I think the big twist to that one, which I the first time I saw it, I did not see it coming, is the fact that his sister was, was one of these yeah. vampires, which I thought was really really interesting. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it starts out with the guy killing the guy that was looking her up because he's about to go murder her, so he can't have any witnesses. He goes there and murders her because it's a money, you know, plot. You know, he he gets more money from this heir because she's gone. And then for him to get his comeuppings by going back to this. And and the arrogance of the fact that he goes there first Mm -hmm. and they won't serve him because they're closing. And he, you know, leaves thinking that's strange. It's just now getting dark. And then the arrogance of coming back, seeing people going in and thinking, well, you know, they're serving people. I'll go in now. You know, it just uh, it you kind of rooting for. Not him in this at all. No, and you're rooting for not. anybody else. Even the vampires are a welcome compared to this guy. No, I agree. But that's I think what what makes it work is the the the, the shock and surprise of the fact that his sister is part of this group takes away the levity of the, the vampire teeth because they are they're they're and I, and I, I again campy is the word you use. <laughs> I, I understand. They're it's it's they're poorly portrayed vampires on screen, but because it's campy, you allow it. But to start with that episode, where we go from yeah, a Twilight yeah. Zone feel to a kind of a camp, and then it gets a little darker with uh, the the neat job, and then it gets a little, which again, with you've got Terry Thomas, so you don't necessarily expect darker. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. You, 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 Terry, uh, Terry Thomas and Glennis Johns, you don't expect a dark story no. with that, but it kind of goes there. And then you get the grave robbing job, um, <laughs> or no, uh, the uh, next was the trickle, the the, the, the trickle to you. Which is a very kind of, um, I don't know, almost Hitchcockian uh, suspense thriller to it. Yeah, uh, it, it it sort of has that tone and that mood um, with some supernatural thrown in because you know Hitchcock's uh, most of his stuff was relatively grounded. Yeah, um, but yeah, it does have that tone and mood. I would agree. Um, and then especially the, the the kind of shocker at the end with how that one comes about. It's like, whoa, okay. So then I think you maybe needed to go back to a campy moment of levity before getting into the Tom one. Sure. So I, th- I think that was designed on purpose to, to roll out that way. Yeah. And Tom is great. He is. Tom is so good. always good. And that sounds strange to say. He plays it with such refined, bubbling anger. Yeah. He, yeah. he never yeah. goes over the top with his... His, he doesn't go screaming and yelling. He just simmers and boils, and you can just see it underneath the surface of him just getting madder and madder until he goes and does this. And then as he does it, just the satisfaction of what he's doing just he, all portrays on his face. It's very well done. And and watching Tom Baker and Doctor Who for so many years, and and the the, the now he's got acting chops in there too. Don't get me wrong. When he's he's serious, he's serious. But to see none of that, you know, twinkle in the eye or that smile or that, that, you know, it's just, it's really odd to see him as an actor in something so serious and solemn through the entire piece. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, it's almost jarring the first time you watch it, even though his performance is fantastic. Yeah. 
and he really is you know his eyes smolder when when he's playing angry and it reminded me um quite a bit actually of his turn in Sinbad yeah uh, was yeah. it is a golden voyage golden voyage of Sinbad um, where he's, uh, you know, the, the evil vizier, mm-hmm. and he's, he's doing this thing. But that one's a little more campy because of, you know, it's Sinbad. But just the, the, the presence that he brings to the screen through just his eyes is incredible. And uh, so that made me very happy. And I loved the ending. The ending of this was so cool. The ending of the story? Or the ending the of the story. Yeah. Of of of, of, his, of his, his segment, story. Yeah. not necessarily the ending of the overall, but we'll get to that. Well, it, it, it's it's so well written, especially in the way that the deaths are brought about. And I think one of the things that the first time that I saw that, I didn't even consider him putting it in the safe and then having the lack of oxygen <laughs> begin to affect him. Yeah, because they let that they let that kind of play out. Because he has it in the safe for quite a quite a while before he paints all those pictures yeah, and before yeah. he loses the the air, and so they play the long game on that, but play it really well where he gets there in the nick of time to get it out, you know. And they never really, they don't, they assume the audience is smart enough to figure out why. That's mm-hmm. the other thing I like mm-hmm. about it. Yep. They don't try to explain. Well, this is why he had to take. And it And they out don't of go the over safe. the top with it by no. exaggerating anything as well. It's very, so good. It's a very cool take on the Dorian Gray concept. Yes, yes. I just see Del, Del Elliott in the. Uh... Oh, I know. <laughs> Marcus Brody is the uh, bad guy. That's that's the other thing that really blew me away watching this was you know now of course now I've seen a few other Hammer films with Del Elliott in it. The, 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 these are English actors. It's you know <laughs> they're they're in everything. You know, if you lived in England, it wouldn't be a, a, a shocking thing at all to see all these people show up. But, you know, from the get-go, it's like, okay, we've got Terry Thomas, we've got Glennis Johns, we've got Kurt, uh, I don't know, Strong Bad from the uh, the Bond movie. Right. It was his name. And, you know, so I, I see those people, and of course, Tom Baker. And I was like, wow, there's just tons and tons of people in this. And every segment that came up, there was somebody else who was like, oh, holy crap, there's so-and-so. <laughs> and then Brody, Marcus Brody, my old friend, he shows up. And, I, yeah, that was kind of the icing on the cake there. Well, wait, wait till we watch the House of Drip Blood, because there'll be a lot of. <gasps> <laughs> but no, I I've always enjoyed the Tales from the Crypt series. Um, it was one of those things that, growing up when it was on HBO, it kind of always felt like that show that I probably shouldn't be watching, but I did anyway, because it was it was right in that age of. Well, would my parents really approve of this? I don't care. I'm going to sneak down and watch it. <laughs> um, but I, I always enjoyed which the stories. Made, which made the show that much more enjoyable. Oh, yeah. That's totally the reason to watch it is because you weren't supposed to. But it, uh, I've always enjoyed that type of story and more specifically that kind of wry humor that those had. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to see now where they got it from mm-hmm. because it's it's obviously there in the source material. If these people were able to kind of pull that same that same trick to it i think what what these lacked and that tales from the crypt on hbo did right was having the host because the 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 uh ac comics were always bookended with the crypt keeper or the vault keeper or the something witch uh 
the other one had a witch and I can't remember her name. Uh, but they always they always bookend them, and then I think that's one thing that I think they felt would not come across back in at least 1973 that HBO gave a gave it a try and gave it more of that authentic um, uh, EC Comics flair. So um, this would have been neat to see this that sort of thing, but I can understand why they didn't go that far. With yeah, it. and you didn't like the twist reveal at the end. Um. The, after we get done telling the stories that each of these people has done something that maybe they shouldn't have, uh, <laughs> to, to then reveal that, yes, we're all already dead, um, and we march off into the... It's a trope. The, the, yeah, I, a trope. I think that was... Yeah, it's a trope. Um, but if you'd have seen this in 73, it wouldn't have been as tropish. So. You're, pro- you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's, it's, it suffers due to... Simply the time frame. Hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that makes it feel a little less tropish to me is the line at the very, very end of that's their punishment of having to relive these stories every day for eternity. Night after night after night yeah. after night for eternity. That was still tropish. Still though. tropish, but it kind of the fact that, oh, they were all dead the whole time, that aspect but, of it is lessened. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Because I, but that, that happens to be a trope I like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm for more forgivable. Right. You're going to push this boulder up that hill. <laughs> um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I I will be honest. By the end, of, I, I watched this fairly late in the evening, and by the time we got through the Tom one, I was starting to as, as engaging and enjoyable as it was. I was starting to get really, really tired. Um, at the very end, the guy that's delivering that line turns around and walks back into the vault. And disappears. And disappears. But he was one of the five, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one of the five. Mm -hmm. And which one was he? The rope trick guy. He was the rope trick. Oh, he was Kurt Jurgensen. Okay. Yeah. So does that mean that... Kurt... Kurt Kurt Jurgensen. Jurgens? 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 Jurgens. Keith Indaba. Kurt. Kurt Jurgensen. Kurt? Stromberg. But... So does that imply that he... Kurt... Kurd. Does that imply that Jurgens. 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 Does that imply that he then isn't in hell? That he's kind of the devil? That he's no, the mastermind I, I, of it? Or? I think it was he was just used as a device to be the narrator instead of having a disembodied voice. They okay. just gave that to one of the characters to, to deliver. Because I thought maybe I had missed something us, that, no, uh, no. as part of that reveal and I went back and no. watched it again and went, no, um, I don't see anything there. But I, I, I sort of wondered if they he he's the one that delivers it because maybe his act was more evil than anyone else's is the only thing that i could think um although i think the first guy he and the first guy certainly i think were the most deplorable yeah um the first guy just cold-bloodedly killing for for money and then him killing for money because he wanted a trick um in reality Terry Thomas's character gets really kind of the short end of it. It's his only sin was he was so so organized. I mean, it's it's Glenn John's character that kills him. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then the 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 graveyard robber guy, yeah, it was was money, but it was almost it it, it verged on the side of a victimless victimless crime. It ended up having many victims in the end because yeah. I mean it, it goes south. Hoisted but, by your own petard. But but he's, his his ultimately he's just it's a money grab is what it is, and so he doesn't intend anybody he doesn't intend any deaths, but 
I mean, even even he. Oh, and I guess he did uh, have the gun and say, you know, he didn't need to. He didn't really. He was going to pull a fast one on the guy that was supposed to be stealing or in on the the uh, fraud with him because he does have the gun and says, you know, little you do, you know, I don't need you after this. And of course, the friend's thinking the same thing because he's just going to drive on past the cemetery. So I guess he does maybe have some murderous intent, but it really seems like the there's only two of them that really were the ultimate bad guys. But they're all yeah. getting the same punishment for different variations of evil, I suppose. That's the only thing. That the only way I could rationalize is that I mean they they needed a vehicle. Uh, they didn't want a disembodied voice. They didn't want a narrator because we haven't had a narrator. They've been they've been conveying to the audience this entire time that you could have easily had a host in there asking them about their different dreams, but they self engage in that and so they needed somebody to deliver that line and I almost wonder if it him. wouldn't have been better had there been a butler or, or something that well, was serving tea which, and then left the room when they would share stories which and then might came have back been, in. I don't know. Which might would would have put it more in line with the comics where they, they did have a host for the particular stories each time. So that would have maybe served that purpose. It's and, enjoyable. I'm and, so, and, a, and a concierge would have let me know that it was a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so um I'm so glad I bought that disc because you, when you pointed that out to me in there, I had never seen that one. I think I had seen Tales from the Crypt, but I'd never seen Vault of Horror. And I'm so glad I picked it up. We practically got it for free. <laughs> and in yet another case of serendipity, yeah, that, that we found this while we were hosting... At a Slash and Bash <laughs> convention, which is a horror convention or a horror film fest, and it had a Doctor Who actor in it. That's funny. That we then wind up covering on our podcast. Yeah. And M- meant to be. We're circling back around because we will be attending Slash and Bash this year with that theme in mind. So very good. Well, shall we move on? So from the fourth doctor to the ninth doctor, we're doing Christopher Eccleson, and he has a uh, fairly big role in twenty eight days later. Four weeks after a mysterious incurable virus spreads throughout the UK, a handful of survivors try to find sanctuary. Bum, bum, which bum. is from IMDb because the back of the DVD just says, Hailed as the most frightening film since The Exorcist, <laughs> acclaimed director Danny Boyle's groundbreaking take on zombie horror isn't just scary, it's absolutely terrifying. That is the most It tells you incorrect. nothing It's the most incorrect the statement I have ever heard about a film in my life. This was... No, there's, there's part of that is true. It was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking. Yeah, I'll give it that. And, and Danny Boyle is an acclaimed director. <laughs> that, that, but that he is, is now. A... He wasn't back then. No, he was. This was post Train Spotting. He got huge oh, acclaim I guess for Train Spotting. Yeah, Train Spotting is what kind of propelled him. But this was yeah. still early on. It was still pre Oscar. <laughs> I didn't. Well, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I did not think I would find a Danny Boyle film that I didn't like until this one. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, I wasn't that fond of Millions. Oh, I okay. forgot about millions. Yeah, millions was just okay. I I didn't hate millions. I didn't no. hate. I didn't hate this, but I didn't like it. It's boring. It's a boring, boring, boring film where nothing goes on for about two thirds of the movie. It's it's it is a it's more of a buddy road trip than it is a horror film. It's people trying to get from one destination to another, and occasionally it's proto uh, Walking Dead. 
occasionally, yeah, it really is. In fact, when the guy wakes up in the hospital, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, Walking Dead either ripped this off of, of ripped him, ripped theirs off of this, or this got ripped off of Walking Dead when it was a graphic novel. I don't know how the graphic novels. Now, okay, let, let me back graphic up here. Graphic novel just starts a second. the same way. Is this a, your first viewing? Of twenty days. Yeah, later? I had never seen. Really? It yeah, this was it. Wow. Yeah. This okay. Was my first time, and I bought the silly thing. Of course, I got it for like three bucks because I had credits on uh, uh, Google Play Store, so I bought it for no on Vudu, and and so I got it for super cheap. And I'm, you should have taken me up on borrowing it. Was, it. I should have because that was three <laughs> bucks. I want back. <laughs> no, I'm giving it a really hard time. But uh, Christopher Eccleston, which who I'm excited to see in this movie, doesn't show up until a minute eight or no, an hour eight in. Yeah. So he's not even in the first half of the film. Um, and that's the other thing is, so I, 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 I appreciate what Boyle's doing here, but we've got an infection that is released because of people wanting to do the right thing. And then we end up with a quarantined infected. I, well, we, we don't know it's quarantined until later, but, um, an infected British island until, you know, with zombies who well, we really still... aren't the aren't the bad guy in this. The the zombies are not the antagonists in this. No, film. they aren't. It's man again. Which you know, I see enough movies where you know, dystopian ideals, you know, spiral mankind into this abyss of evil and bad decisions and this was just another one of those films it was it was a a zombie film that that i mean it's not what i appreciate it is it's not your typical zombie film no it's, it's an not. infectious disease they call it rage and I, I think this was the first running zombies even though they yeah, aren't really yeah, zombies yeah. I've, i have heard that alluded to before well and that's what well, makes they it... are zombies because we don't know they're essentially zombies. you know there there are a lot of zombie films that use the infection idea as well I mean, right, so it, but it's, it's, this is the, the first fact, one. It's not lumbering uh, Romero zombies. No, but this is the first one where it's. I think it implicitly says that they aren't actually dead. They're right, the dead right. back to life. Right. right, you're right, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so this, this that's is the first one that injects uh, a, a level of science to it, as opposed to the supernatural. And it's the first one with the running. Oh no, no, no! Not a science supernatural because even zombie, early isn't even early zombie films don't. There are earlier Romero films that don't say that they're undead, that that the uh, the return. Well, those, those aren't Romero's, but the Return of the Living Dead series attributes the uh, it to a, an infectious disease, even though some of them come up out of the graves and stuff. But so I mean, it's it it, it not necessarily attributing it to a supernatural cause. It's still a scientific cause, even though it's reanimating some corpses. This is the first one. I would agree with you that is not calling them undead. They are actually still alive. They are just on the on the extreme end of an infection. So, so I I wouldn't be the same one to interject a scientific reason behind it, but it would be the first one to not call them undead or reanimated corpses. Yeah. All right. To actually, in my opinion, eliminate any supernatural element to it. Yeah, it goes. It cements that yeah. fact. Yes. And I. I can see what you're saying about humanity, although I don't fully agree with it. I agree with the beginning of it was them trying to do something good and it went horribly wrong, but I don't nec- I don't necessarily think that 
part of why I enjoy this and find it a fascinating film is that the humans in Sanctuary aren't necessarily evil or aren't necessarily doing... They, they, they are in a horrible situation and trying to survive... Some of them go They're the wrong about to rape women no, in order part. to propagate the well to no. repopulate. They, they the go the wrong direction in it. That doesn't make it not right. I mean, that doesn't, no, I'm not that saying, doesn't I'm not give saying it an it's, excuse. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm not saying they aren't. They have nothing. They have nothing to do with the overall infection of what's going on. No, They're agreed. just trapped in the situation. Agreed. Right. You were the way you were talking about the humans in it. Trying to, it made it sound like you were even blaming the army at the end for the overall infection. No, 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 no. I'm not blaming the army at the end for they are degrading humanity. Yeah, to degrading humanity into this. You know, we're better than this. I don't care what situation we're put in. Humanity is not inherently evil. And maybe it is, but I like to believe that it's not. <laughs> and we continue to go down this road of, well, humanity just sucks. It's like we do this in Doctor Who all the time. We we chide them for relying on that crutch mm-hmm. to continue to go back to every time, every time. Then we get a good, uh, uh, what I think is going to be a great zombie flick, and we turn it into that same ideal of it's, it's an examination of human nature. And I think that trope is one... That this was early on in. Yeah, this is certainly an early dystopian so future I think, or apocalyptic future. I wonder if you would have enjoyed even dystopian. it a little bit more had you watched it closer to release before you got burnt out on such a trip. Maybe, and that, that, that certainly could be true. Because it has been overused But I recently. will continue to say that it is boring. There is nothing going on. There, there, I, I can it, see that. It really argument. is. Now, there are moments of intense intensity i really liked um what's the actor's name that he's been in other uh boyle films uh the blonde haired guy that played the dad Ned. oh uh, gleason yeah gleason. yeah yeah man i moody man he was great i sure enjoyed his character yeah he's great um, in everything but yeah, he again is. he was really sort of the he was the dad figure he was the hope for mankind he was the very positive outlook he he believed i mean he's the reason they go there we go to the sanctuary because he believed Brendan Gleeson, that, sorry. Yeah. He believed that, you know, he had to have hope because what else is there? You know, they had to get out of there. Um I thought the performances were really good. I there that nobody could be shy for his performance. I didn't realize this was um uh is it Killian Mur- Murphy? Is the was the kid from mm-hmm. the, yeah. yeah, the first thing I'd ever seen him in was the Batman films. Um Nolan's Batman films. I didn't realize this was one of the zero roles. In fact, it took me probably about twenty minutes in the film before I realized who it was because I haven't, I hadn't seen him in a lot of stuff. Really young. Yes, um, but he did a great job. I mean, the, the performances are fantastic, but there's there's just way too much character study in it, and way too much talking, and way too much walking, and way too much traveling. And I just no, I I, I even even early on, I may not have had a problem with those things. The, the you probably would have not been but, happy about but the boredom. I, I just uh, I felt like I was slogging through the film. There are, you, you are not wrong. What's good um, about this? You guys should talk about. There, there are the, the the ponderous nature of nothing happening, of him walking through an empty, deserted London, is not all that different from our three astronauts wandering through the first half of Planet of the Apes. 
uh, you know, in the original. It's it, it sure. evokes that same kind of sure. uh, sense of unsettling creep factor. And at the time, not something we had seen very often. Either. Yeah, and it, you know, there, there's not a lot of people that can close that, that off was. Westminster Bridge and. <laughs> Doctor yeah, Who well, and twenty eight years later, I, I was I was more <laughs> impressed with how they closed the M one. I was like, that is that is considered one of the busiest. High, they had to have been done with some CGI on that one because I could see them closing down the bridge and and but uh, the M one. No, I was like, there's there's no way. That's a, there's got to be some CGI trickery here because there's no way they close that whole. Road. I bet it was under construction they and they close, snuck in there. And they did it. not close a stretch of that road for that long. <laughs> but you're, you know, it once you get over the, wow, it's really empty. There's nobody here. How did they shoot that? Look at all this empty. I agree. It's kind of like okay, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. You know, sorry, and. That's that. His nature of that's the I, sad point I, about I it. Up, let me let okay, me. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Let me address it. That's sad. I was taken out of the story because it wasn't engaging enough, and so I was thinking about those things. How did they shoot this? Wow. How did they clear out London in order to get some of these shots? I shouldn't be thinking that as a viewer. I should be watching the movie and engaged in the story enough that it's I'm caught up in the world, and I wasn't. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. You're you're, you're like I said. You're you're not wrong because his, okay. You wake up in a hospital. And you start wandering the, the halls of the hospital, and there's nobody there. And you rob the the, the, the vending machine, and you get a bag of Coke, and you, you go outside. Pepsi. 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 <laughs> and, and then you wander around London, and there's nobody there. Pepsi and he's just kind of aimlessly wandering in order to showcase, hey, look what we did, versus why didn't he go home? Initially, right off the bat, why didn't he go home to see what happened to his parents? Well, I... Why was he content to wander? I'm sorry, I don't care what my situation is. If I wake up in the middle of a major metropolitan city and there's nobody there, I'm, I am, home. I'm not going to hang around until dark. Yeah. That's just stupid. <laughs> you know? Well, I gave him the benefit of the, the doubt that he was headed home. He just had to cut through all of that metropolitan area. He just took and a he sweet was probably, time. Well, and I, I don't know... You know, where what, what do we know about the ge- geography of London? It's a big city, and if he lives on, you know, some they aren't really called suburbs out there, but if he lives on the outskirts of London, it may have been a long travel to get there. So, I mean, I think his intention was There's no, to no go cars. Home. That now, you could... I don't understand why he Hijack. didn't make the little detour into the church. That kind of go- argues against my. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess he was. And then just I'm going to go upstairs. Really trying to. Be, well, he, he. Yeah. Nah. It's, it's, you, you, this is. You, you've suddenly crossed over into becoming one of those characters in a horror film that deserves what's coming to you <laughs> because you're making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And then he's shocked when this deranged priest charges him. <laughs> it's like, eh, even not being in a zombie. You know, even if you've never watched a zombie film, seeing. All seeing these empty streets and then seeing all these dead people piled on top of one another down in the pews would have been enough to pretty good idea what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I can add two and two together. Well, not to mention all of the the evacuation posters and all the warning signs and people have painted <laughs> Miss, on the wall. missing people. Yeah. So then it becomes once he finally hooks up with um, I can't remember her name. I now. don't remember her name either. Naomi Harris. Naomi Harris. Much much shock and. Surprise on my end that I did not, Selena, thank you, did not recognize her at all. 
Money Penny, the new Money Penny. Yeah, yeah. And wow. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's been in a ton of stuff. Anyway, so once he hooks up with these people and they kind of lay down the rules, he continues to make bad decisions. He continues to buck the, okay, I'm going to go wander around my house with a candle. Okay, I'm going to continue to put you in danger. Okay, I'm going to continue to, it's like, dude, I understand that you're having some trouble adjusting, but (laughs) (laughs) you've crossed over into that you deserve what's coming. So then it becomes a travel log when they meet up with the family and we're going to, and there's even some happy travel music and we're going to have fun driving over cars in a tunnel. Brendan Gleeson, you've just become a character that deserves whatever bad thing is going to happen to you because you're going to blow a tire. Oh, look, you blew a tire. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Oh, let's go spend the night in the woods outdoors. (laughs) Sleep in the damn car. What is wrong with you people? I don't know. That was the only time they didn't get overrun. I know, that. right? <laughs> so away from civilization. And then we 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 get out to the 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 end, and um, oh, here comes Christopher Eccleston. He's going to save us because he's got the military and they've got guns and all this kind of stuff. He was a little off from the beginning, which yes, I think was, was intentional, and so I kind of suspected, and I think in the back of my mind, I remembered maybe hearing that he was not the good guy in that movie. Um, so I, I think I already suspected him early on and that may have tainted my enjoyment. Well, it, 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 when he's giving he them the tour, fantastic performance by him yeah. as well. Oh I yeah. Agree. When they're giving them the tour and he's like, we've got this, we've got this, we've got lights, we've got this. And you're like, yeah, okay. Kind of, I kind of sort of feel safe maybe out here. And then the first attack happens and these guys are well, shooting with gleeful well, abandon at everything. No, 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 no. I think the first instance of where I think everybody should feel something's not quite right here is when they go in and they've got the one guy chained up and he talks about how he's learning from him and he'll learn how long he... Now, mm-hmm. while on the surface it's very, you know, much uh, experimental and where we're, it's militaristic to find out what our... to learn more about our enemy... It still is one of their former guys yeah. chained, chained up in a yard. And so you that's what kind of puts you off of him. It's supposed to put you off of him a little bit at first. And then it's then the... Then the now, well, the whole dinner conversation. The, yeah. yeah. And the whole... Shades of the black hole. <laughs> eggs. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're right. Isn't, maybe because I just watched that one recently, yeah. but I've always loved no, how I, creepy Reinhardt is in the Black Holter. That dinner. didn't come across until you just said that. You're absolutely right. It's very much shaped with that. But yeah, the, the the attack comes, and they all go rushing out to shoot at everything that moves, which, okay, maybe that's warranted. It's a zombie. You, oh, you sure, know. sure. But yet, I don't care how well fortified you are. You can run out of ammo. Somebody somewhere should be thinking of this, and nobody's thinking of this. So if you didn't question these guys before, now the question should be popped up front and center in your brain going, hmm, we are not safe here. Because (laughs) these guys have all gone apocalypse now. Mm -hmm. They're all Colonel Kurtz. (laughs) They're off the reservation with how nuts they are. The keeping the guy locked up while distasteful and... I can justify that, quite honestly. And I I can, too, and I think you're supposed to be able to, but you also have that trigger of that still doesn't set well, though. So I think that's that's why I'm saying I don't think it's it's a... It's the fact that it's... You know, one of their own men, right? Not right. just some Had random they just zombie. Got some random one they didn't know. Yeah, it would even uh, it would be completely justifiable in my my head. It but shows the emotional disconnect. This, yeah, exactly. There you go. There but you go. but by the same token, and then you know, 
we, we laugh because there was always all, all these Facebook polls or whatever about, you know, how long would you survive a zombie apocalypse? I'm surviving. I'm making it out of this because I'm the first person to understand the rules have changed. <laughs> I don't give two squats about civilization at this point. It's survival of the fittest. Once you get to a safe spot, then maybe you can start to think about that. So watching Walking Dead, I sided with Shane. Because he was the only one that got it. And everybody hated Shane. I'm like, why do you guys hate this guy? I mean, yeah, he's the source of drama, but he gets it. That's kind of the way I felt about Christopher Eccleston. It was like, he's not a likable guy, but he gets it. Oh, wait, no, he's crazy. <laughs> Never mind. So, Well, and the way even Christopher Eccleston plays it was, well, it's, he almost plays it as, it's not something that he wants to do, but he has to do something to yeah. keep his men alive. And yeah. And there, there are a couple of times he, he's in driven, dialogue that he actually says that. He's driven to this that. point because he doesn't have any other option to keep right. his men alive. Right. He promised them, you know. Until that line. I, I, I would honestly, as off as he is, I would buy his rationale up until the, I promised them women. Yeah. You have to understand. It's like, no, you, you've now... You've now gone too far, which honestly is the point where I feel like the movie does fall apart. That's where it spirals out of control. Well, not just that it spirals out of control, but I can deal with the the, the boring uh, travel log in London because of the Planet of the Apes kind of comparison. I can I don't deal know, with the more you talk about this movie. It sounds like you didn't like the movie either. No, well, <laughs> I liked it the first time I saw it. I hadn't watched it for years and years, and I didn't see it upon release. It wasn't until it had already been out on DVD and everybody else had raved about it that I finally watched it. So this is only my second viewing. And I didn't remember much. I remembered The Walk. I remembered Empty London. And I remembered the the end. But I was the beginning with the, the apes. I had no memory of that at all. <laughs> and in fact, when the leader of that particular group showed up and took his ski mask off, I thought that was Christopher Eccleston. Mm. Even kind of sounded like him. And I was like, I don't remember him being in the beginning of this movie. But I didn't remember the beginning of the movie. So, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to roll with it. And then he shows up later and he's this major and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, when are you going to reveal that you were there for the infection? That you instigated this? And he didn't. And I went, oh, maybe I'm just mistaken. And that wasn't. The guy looked like <laughs> Christopher so at all. But it's at that moment where suddenly this movie that had been kind of inventive and unique and different for the things that it was presenting suddenly becomes every other tropey where we're going to put the women in danger. We're going to threaten them with rape. And our unlikable, stupid decision maker, who's been the hero of the film so far, now has to be the hero by going in to save them. Even though and Naomi Harris sacrificing has, himself. Too. Yeah, even though Naomi Harris has been a far superior survivalist, survivalist and yeah. fighter, and and more competent. But now all of a sudden, because we've introduced her as a love interest, she has to be the damsel in distress. Right. right. And that's the part of it that I kind of went. Mm, I just I don't I don't know that I like this now. Yeah. But even she still shows some of that same character characterization with Hannah and trying to get her to take the pills to she try does. to yeah. So she's still trying to be a survivalist in this situation. She, she just she, acknowledges that she can't get out of it right. at this moment. She does get shades of of that still in her character. I don't think they so. abandon it completely. No, no, they don't no. abandon it completely, but it, it's it's just frustrating that. I don't know. It, in my mind, it would have been a much more interesting turn of events for her to just come and rescue him again. I, well, you know, or, quite honestly. or even have him do what he does because he learned from her, not because 
she's a love interest at this point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like, well, now I'm in love, so I'm going to do anything I can to, to save her instead of a how much he has learned from her in this journey and how much she's learned for him, from him in uh, maybe some of his more compassion and, and, and innocence early on. So there's also if they'd a, have played it off that way, but it, they drove the, the love story home. There's also a switch that gets flipped because his character in the beginning half of this movie is not the character who is running around leaping over fences right. and yeah. taking out military guys <laughs> right. and firing machine. It's like, where was Rambo during all of this stuff in town? <laughs> no, you were too busy wandering around in the kitchen with a candle. Dummy. <laughs> just... <laughs> So it, it, it was a frustrating watch for me. Now, Keith, I know that this is... I, I feel bad now because I've oh. jumped over here with Glenn going... These are strong arguments. I think a lot of them, though, so many zombie movies since this has come back with the same tropes that this set forth more so than than this took from. So I think that's part of it is this hindsight of... Well, this came out in 2002. Mm-hmm. So, 16, 17 years later... <laughs> We're suffering from the same thing we just described in Tales for the Exactly. Yeah. Or, uh, not Tales for the Crypt, but uh, Vault. Vault of Horror, is, you know, hindsight it ends up ruining right. something for us. And because... unless you can slip back into that 2002 mindset of yeah. when you would have first seen it, it kind of doesn't hold up as strong. And this, this is also kind of the start of the zombie wave. In 2002, was we we hadn't really had a zombie movie probably, I mean, really, since a Romero, maybe? It had been a long (laughs) while. Romero's were kind of heading downwards anyways. Well, no, yes. I mean, uh, as far as uh, at their peak, no. I mean, uh, probably the return movies were probably the last time we really had a super popular zombie film. So it's been a while, and then this thing yeah. comes out, and then all of a sudden you get it zombies researches. in every other yeah. horror. Two well, years later, TV, the Walking Dead comic yeah. comes out. I mean, so the comic was after. It was this. after. I think you maybe said that earlier. I I don't think I got it looked up quick enough before you guys moved. But on. this was before you know World War Z and before Walking Dead and before Zombieland and before you know the the, the trend had not yet hit when this came out. So it is inventive and um, groundbreaking for all the things that it did do for well, the had genre. Romero come back and redid his, his zombie films even after this, I suppose, because he did Dawn again. I didn't hear somebody remade Dawn. Oh, Zack Snyder. Romero. Yeah. It was Snyder made remade Dawn. Yeah. It was this and resident evil. Oh yeah. That yeah. really launched zombies right. back into popularity. Oh, I forgot about resident evil being a, and then Shaun of the Dead also was a large contributor to that. <laughs> and Much better film than that. I, I can see the arguments of how slow and boring it is until you kind of get further on. But I, I kind of liked the fact that you had kind of the slow mystery of discovering what was happening in the beginning of it. And then this intimate exploration of some of the characters in the middle when they're going camping and all of that. And the characters getting to know each other before losing the dead and the tragedy of that. And then just after that, it just keeps cascading. Which kills me. And downwards Every and single downwards. time. Brendan Gleeson yeah. walking over there. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. And, and like, really, this one is drop. one of those movies where the acting sells me on so much of it that I can overlook some of the plot that's, issues. That's the, that I will the, give you. That's the redemption for me. If I took anything away 
from this film the performances made it just enjoyable enough because they the performances are all everybody does a great job of this yeah the other thing is i kept thinking the further they were going with this i kept thinking is this going to be the first danny boyle movie that doesn't end on a lighter note doesn't have a uplifting ending because especially when they're getting ready to ram that gate and he does that freeze frame and i thought oh no (laughs) crap he's gonna he's gonna do it he's gonna end it like any other horror zombie film where well what happened next it's up to you and but then they cut to him waking up in the bed and then making the thing and then the credits run and i thought oh okay well it puts the capstone stone that's a dense danny boyle film and then after the credits we get the what if and i went are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here. You, did I, you, I, I didn't watch. There are after actually. the credits and there is a what if scene. Have you seen it? I think so. Okay. Yeah. It's well, I hate, I don't want to tell you it ends grim and it's, it's it. I wonder if that's the three killer alternate endings that were on the disc and three? they just tacked it in. I only saw one. Hmm. Anyway, the what if is at the very end of the, at least on my digital copy that I bought is on the credits and it, they after they have crashed through the gate, they get him to a hospital, and he dies with them trying to help him. And the the girl I can't remember her name she she's like backs yeah. up against the, yeah she backs up against the wall and she says well, what do we do now? And Naomi uh, Harris Harris's character says we run or we 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 run or we continue on or something like that. And then they, it's them walking down the hall leaving the place he's dead and that's the end of the film that's the ending i remember the ending of the film that i saw prior to the credits is well yeah him waking up and him so, so it, i didn't rewatch the whole film oh okay i only rewatched the christopher eccleson bit <laughs> <laughs> i know the rest of the film well enough apparently the ending i don't quite remember the same well you knew we were doing this so you wanted to have that fresh in your yeah, mind but, yeah. yeah no the uh the, it ends with a happy ending with them flying oh. down a, an airplane because he sees a, a jet and discovers I remember the, yeah I, I remember seeing the the drone the contrail yeah. and she says the last thing she says is do you think he saw a set time and they smile at each other and that's the end and I thought oh okay that's how a Danny Boyle film should end <laughs> what if uh, al- al- alternate endings I, hmm. I think what and if this is just the suspicious nature of me i wonder if the one ending was made and it didn't test well and so they he went back and recut the mm-hmm, ending and, mm-hmm. and then went ahead and spliced the what if ending on here's the love conquers all version in fact i bet originally the freeze frame was going to be the end and then they tested that with audiences on audience probably with test audiences and probably said oh I want to know what happened after that. So then he <laughs> he said, well, this is what happened after that. And it was the guy dying on the hospital table. And people went, huh? No. You can't end a film like that. And then he went back and shot the third one. That's what they went with. Because it the, the, the freeze frame was very much in line with that type of yeah. horror film. The, yeah. Especially those really intense films that, that do that. But Now, I will say, and, and this will be up to you, is whether or not you decide to continue on. 28 weeks no, later. No, I'm not even going to. I liked... No, it's a different guy. It's a different See, guy. I didn't director. like the sequel. Boyle, Boyle did uh, uh, produce it, but he didn't direct yeah, it. I, I liked 28 weeks letter better. I, I, I thought it was a better put together movie. See, I didn't. I thought it also started, it cashed in on the same cliches too much, yeah. if I remember correctly. I read the it, synopsis it was for it. it more in, like a... Where I thought this was a unique zombie film, 
the 28 weeks later I thought was more in line with the standard zombie film. Well, and this is one of those ones where I liked the, the happy ending of there's hope and that the, that the island is really quarantined and everything else out there is probably okay. And I want to end with that. I don't want to find out that this thing has spread further and there's other, you know, people trying to get out of places and I'm done with the series. Oh, they actually, they, they, they beat it back. Yeah. Well, they, they retake London. I mean, Oh, well, least, see, that makes it even worse. At, le- at, <laughs> see, le- at least part of it. And then people move back in, and they all make decisions that des- you deserve whatever's going to happen to you. Because you went and moved into an infected well, zone to be fair, on that's, purpose. To be fair, that's horror films in general. See, and I remember the thinking that 28 Weeks Later felt more like an action film than a horror movie. Yeah, I would yeah, agree with that. Probably, yeah. Which is probably why Sean liked it more. Probably. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> So what are we doing next but, week, but, but Christopher Eccleston, just to put a, a, a yeah, to circle go, back to around where back. we should have been to begin oh, yeah, with, yeah. he was excellent. Uh, he was very, very creepy and did a lot of it with, uh, I thought, through his vocal inflections mm-hmm. with how he was delivering lines of dialogue. I would agree. And I, I, was, I was impressed with that. And he had blonde hair. And his blonde hair. Almost ginger. Almost ginger. Almost ginger. All right, which ones are we doing next week, Sean? What can I look forward to this time? I think everything else I've seen, though, now on our... Well, no, there's a few I haven't. Well, uh, next week, our two doctors are uh, the war doctor, John Hurt, and he is in The Ghoul. Which I think I've seen. With Peter Cushing. Uh, This one is streaming free on Amazon Prime, so if you're a Prime member, you can uh, watch along with us. And then We we should mention, if you are a uh, member of Shudder, through either Amazon Prime or independently, you can catch uh, uh, Volt Horror on there. Yeah, so I just found that out last night. Um, so The Ghoul and then uh, Jody Whitaker is in Attack the Block, which I've not seen either of those, so it'll be all new to me. And uh, I'm not sure, I don't believe Attack the Block was streaming anywhere. Though, no, so you're gonna have wasn't. to You're going to have to head out to the video store for that one. But. That or, or do a digital purchase. Of the films that are on our... I think That's so. That's probably the most recent one. No. No? No. It's older than you think. Is it? Yeah. What's the most recent one on our list then? Patient Zero. Oh, yeah. That's oh, true. Yes, that one yes, just came out. Yeah. I forgot about that one. That's the Matt Smith one. Attack the Block came out in 2011. Wow. I remember seeing that on the front of uh, another Blu-ray that I bought <laughs> that would, that had just come out, but it must have been <laughs> five or six years ago that that happens. No, you're just that old. Well, I am that old, but... <laughs> All right, well... <laughs> as I ponder the... Uh... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you ever get so old that you forget where you were? <laughs> yeah, it's, I just totally spaced where I was going. Anyway, be sure to check out our web page, travelingvortex.com, for updates on this podcast. You can find the schedule there now that uh, Sean has got that posted up, and you can see all of what we're doing coming out in the next several le- weeks leading up till the end of October. As Including we do, pictures. As we do our <laughs> Beyond. the Block is on Stars. Ah, so ah, if you have okay. a Stars membership, you can stream it there. As we do our um, uh, Beyond the Doctor spooky time. And um, uh, while you're there, be sure to click on our Patreon link and consider supporting us. Um, every bit of that goes right back into this podcast. And remember, if you can send comments, or you can send comments and feedback to feedback at travelingthevortex.com by clicking on the send feedback link while you're on our website. And until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you.
Thanks for listening. Did I say Glim? Glim. Oh, it really is late. I'm old. You, for, you forgot your name? Forgot my name. <laughs> Can I call you Glim from now on? No. Please? Next week, can you introduce yourself as Glenn? <laughs> you have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. <laughs>